0: we mm-hmm. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 61 of X-Labs, where uh, we're going to be talking about a book that I've really turned the corner on here in uh, X-Force. I remember uh, dreading X-Force Day in the early issues, but uh, here we are, eight issues in, and I'm really finding myself looking forward to uh, seeing where the story goes, so... Without any further ado, let's hop right on in, because uh, we got uh, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Now, this is X-Force Volume 6, number 8, at an April 2020 cover date. The is called Game of Dominoes, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Basil Dwa. Doesn't have a first name this time around. Colors by Guru EFX, letters, VCs, Joe Karamagna. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Robinson White, Sobalski. Cover price, $3.99 dollars 99 went on sale February 26th of 2020. Now we open in London, where the inverted domino is holding a pro-mutant advocate in a hotel room. Though maybe holding isn't exactly the right word for it. Uh, It's pretty clear that there's some hanky-panky afoot, uh, and uh, the inverted domino, I guess we can call her Anamad, has taken a break from uh, the banging to hit the showers. And also to procure, like a bio from the in the form of her ear. If you remember, these Xenos or Xenos or whatever, they're like weaponized humans, right? Their bodies are weapons. So, you know, you tug on the ear and a garrot comes out, and you can strangle the dude. I guess it's a. Uh, we've seen this before. So, post shower, Anamad is going to kill this. I'm assuming British minister. And boy, is she surprised to be confronted by the real deal Domino in this very hotel room who already has her pistol drawn and primed to go. From here, we get a page or two of tough talk and fighting. Domino takes a lamp to the side of the head, which she responds to by, well, blowing Anamad's brains out. She actually shoots her right through the right eye, so now they match. You know, our Domino has a very, very scarred right side, and now so does Anamad. Let's do a roll call. It's a short one. Uh, it still takes an entire page, but it's a short one. It's Domino, Sage, and Colossus, and then, of course, two page of credits. Then, back to comics, and we are at the Healing Gardens. Now, Sage is examining the Anamod corpse, where she suggests that, rather than just using Domino's skin grafts, like we've seen before from the Xenopholk, that this specimen, the Xenos, actually went so far as to weave Domino's actual DNA into her. Now, Sage refers to this as a case of putting all your eggs into one basket and suggests that this is a bet that Zeno lost. Remember, they were just at a casino for a little bit, so we gotta get referential and punny. So Sage wonders how many more Anomods might be lurking out there, to which Domino suggests she doesn't think there's all that many. You see, no sooner did this one die than Domino was able to find a four-leaf clover. Yes, really. Now, she takes this to mean that her missing luck is starting to come back. And, uh, you know, I guess it's as good a sign as any, and it also does facilitate an upcoming scene and uh, an entire second half of this issue, so I'll give him a thumbs up on that. Now, later on, we get another rendezvous with Domino and Colossus, and it's another thought-provoker. It's uh, another one that gives us plenty of food for thought. Um... They embrace, you know. Uh, they've been—they both been through so much. They've both—they're uh, both haunted uh, by what it, what they've seen and what they've experienced. That, you know, to the point where sleep just doesn't come anymore. You know, they can't—they can't find the peace enough to sleep. Now, here is where Colossus makes a suggestion. Now, that suggestion is that perhaps together, they consider another kind of sleep. And uh, this is not a reference to hanky-panky of any sort. This is Colossus saying they can hold each other and just go for a swim. And Then Peter will transform into his metallic form, and they will just sink to the bottom. I think this is the first time we're looking at something like suicide here, and uh, it's a toughie, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, but considering... The landscape here in the dawn of X books. At the same time, it's kind of it's easy for me to say. At the same time, it's kind of not. You know, it's it's weird. Um, now, Colossus's suggestion doesn't exactly come from a place of seeking final release. It's more like they'll die, knowing that they'll be reborn via the resurrection protocols. However, maybe their returns can be mentally and emotionally rolled back to before their recent experiences. Like, kind of like if you're if you're rolling back your operating system, right? You know? And about that, I, I don't know. I, I feel weird about this, because... I mean, we get plenty of food for thought here, right? It also, at the same time, sort of kind of does a disservice to those in the real world who struggle with these kind of thoughts and internal conflicts... Let's put a pin in that, and we'll talk about it more later. So, Colossus suggests that they go for that final for now swim. Domino, she's listening, but she's not digging it. because Not because she's, like, scared to death or anything. It's just that all of these experiences, all of the bad things, she wants to remember it all. You know, she doesn't like this idea of coming back fresh and clean, and, uh, I guess... Undisturbed uh, Because these experiences are a part of her That's more More interesting food for thought But before we go any further The conversation that they're having is interrupted By a call from Sage Now she's found something interesting In St. Petersburg Some dude made his way past the Russian Gateway gods and managed to touch A Kirkoan gate Now this fella had some domino skin Grafted onto his hand Domino doesn't understand how or why Sage would be able to narrow her search quite this much and be this precise. And here is where the four-leaf clover comes back into it. Now, Sage reveals that she simply scanned for four-leaf clovers and uh, found a massive proliferation of them in Russia. To be more specific, it's all along the Trans-Siberian train tracks, which is one of my very favorite Christmas bands, uh, you know, right after a Mannheim steamroller. From here, info page. It's all about setting up social venues in order to encourage that third Crocoan bylaw of Make More Mutants. And it's a cute page. I, I don't have any complaints here. Um, we learn that Black Tom has already set up a sort of swingin' scene on Krakoa called the, the Green Lagoon, you know, where the uh, mutant elites go to eat and meet and bang, or something. We go back to comics, and Domino and Colossus zip over to the Trans-Siberian Tracks, now, Colossus has a lot of second thoughts about this, but ultimately, and obviously, he agrees to go along. From here, we get some uh, some action. We get train jumping. You know, they, they jump from one train to another so they can get on the right one. And we learn here that this is the first time that Colossus has left Krakoa since he arrived on Kitty's boat way back in X-Force number one. This is in contrast with Domino, who has been, like, constantly on the move since her rescue in X-Force No. 2. So she's been bebopping all over the place. Peter's been, you know, just just happy as a clam, sitting at home, painting. And uh, occasionally fighting the Fantastic Four in a spin-off that nobody's gonna mention. Now, they bust into the right train, and they find this car to be like a mobile body shop. It's just like the Korean printing press that Wolverine and Kid Omega infiltrated, only it's on a train. So we've got canisters of domino body parts and whatnot, and also, it's worth noting, a bunch of domino-spliced bad guys to fight. Now, the big plan here is that Colossus is going to exit, run across the top of the train, all the way to the front, and then he's going to physically stop the train, like actually get in front of it and make it stop moving. All the while, Domino's going to be fighting off her skin spawns, which is a far more disgusting term than I intended for it to be. And, well, that's exactly what happens. And it's successful. So all the Xenomos die, and that's the good news. But also Domino dies, and that's the not-so-good news. So Peter holds Nina as she passes on. She makes him promise to make sure that, when she's resurrected, that she keeps all of her memories. Colossus agrees, though... I'm not sure he has all that much control over what data is in the Cerebro. What are you going to do? I suppose it's the thought that counts. Give her her peace. There you go. Uh, now, if the covered X-Force number 9 is any indication, Domino is not going to be on long. So, we'll see her again real soon. From here, an info page. And Beast is talking about the man with the peacock tattoo and uh, compares his organization's goals with those of Orcus. Basically the concept of forced evolution And creating something akin to the post-human It's all fair enough And it serves to transition to our, to our closing scene for the issue Which just so happens to be back at that Xeno meeting hall So our lead Xeno guy I'm assuming he's got a peacock tattoo somewhere on his body He reports to his followers that the lab has been destroyed Now a shadowy individual in the crowd It's like It looks kind of like uh, Like what you'd see on C-SPAN You know you have the uh I don't know if it's the House or the Senate, but you have like the sort of semicircle of seats that ascend up. And we have one guy, shadowy, we don't see him. And he's in the crowd and he just sort of begins to heckle the leader here, the, the dude with the peacock tattoo. He's asking how much this is going to cost them and whatnot. He's like, hey, I invested. I want a I return on my investment. The conversation gets heated and uh, to the point where the Zeno leader, he goes to send his heavy to go pluck the dissenter out of the crowd. Only, our shadowy individual Turns out to be far more formidable a presence Than anyone could have planned for So the Xeno guy's heavy Goes flying as our shadowy visitor Says he's gonna he's gonna start Laying down some law here And he suggests it's time for Xeno To just declare war And uh, that is where we leave X-Force number 8 Next episode We will be wrapping up the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 7's With X-Men But first, let's Let's do some talking, right? Um, this is a good issue. I liked it a lot, and it is really weird how X-force is is like really coming into its own here. Um, I didn't think that I'd be enjoying this quite as much as I am when we started this uh, this run. Now, there's clearly one scene in this issue that gives us the most to chew on, right? So how about we start with that one eh? Colossus suggests suicide. Now, that is not out of character for him. If you remember, he has taken his own life before, though it was in service of the greater good. This wasn't that. Back when he sacrificed his life to cure the legacy virus, that could be seen as a selfless act. It might have been persuaded by guilt, but at the end of the day, it was selfless. He died so others would not have to. In this situation... It's more of a self-serving endeavor, right? Um, Dying simply to forget, to remove inconvenient memories and experiences. I mean, I'm not here to judge. We all have our reasons, we all have our beliefs, and it's not my place to evaluate or opine on them. I mean, there are entire philosophies predicated on the concept of removing the bad and keeping the good as it pertains to experiences and trains of thought and emotion. So yeah, I'm not here to judge. Colossus here, he wants a release. He wants peace. That's human. And perhaps it's the most human use of the resurrection protocols to date. I I mean, I, I, I hate to play the real world game where we try to fit these fantastical concepts and notions into our own mundane world. But if near instant resurrection was a possibility, without things like faith and mortal sin getting in the way, this is the sort of situation I could see happening. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about faith in just a little bit. But to, to continue with, the, with our real-world game, right? I mean, there are things like rebirthings. Uh, sometimes with a physical emergence ceremony. Also, things like being born again into faiths. Um, it's a headier and far heavier concept than I have any right or uh, uh, credential. To delve into, so I mean, quick and dirty on it. I'm just trying to say that this sort of train of thought isn't without precedent. We also have some deep discussions uh, in the real world regarding things like the right to die with with dignity. And while this isn't exactly that, it's actually not that at all. It might be worth mentioning just for the sake of conversation, you know. And again, this is another thing that I don't have any kind of credibility or any kind of first, second, or third hand experience with, so uh, just it's food for thought. Now last issue, pop back to last issue, I talked about one scene that I really appreciated. And it was that scene between Colossus and Domino. And I commented that they were sort of being portrayed as passive dissonance to the created to, to the Krakoan way of life. Uh, whereas it seems as though most of the mutants have accepted this new normal, and they allow themselves to get caught up, to get lost in the constant parties and the revelry of this island. They're also perhaps losing their own individuality in the process. And we talked about that uh, during X-Force number uh, 7, where it's it's more about the many than the few. The The individual isn't as important as the overarching goal of... What is Krakoa? You know. Now Domino and Colossus, during that conversation, they sort of dismissed that notion of everything serving the greater good of Krakoa, like they say under their breath, like uh, for Krakoa. You know, it's it's very, very passive, um, but at the same time, it's 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 honest. Now, one of the theories that we've been batting around ever since the start of this project. Is that of Krakoa or the Professor or perhaps a combination of the two manipulating the mutants into behaving the way that they are? Now, I want to make it clear, there has not been a single shred of evidence to that. It's just a prevailing theory, at least in our little X-lapsed corner of the fandom. Now, moving with that theory, these Peter and Nina scenes almost fly directly in the face of that theory, Right? I mean I I don't really have a point here other than to say that this freedom of thought that we're seeing here is is kind of odd and almost in contrast with so much of the crakoan new normal um now from the the heavy concept of suicide to the perhaps heavier or spicier concept of religion as it pertains to suicide I mentioned the fact that many theologies view suicide as a mortal sin, right? A sin that you cannot you, you can't repent. You can't be forgiven for that before you pass on. Now we've got resurrection protocols in place. So things are quite a bit different. That said, we know that there are mutants of faith. Nightcrawler is probably the one that everybody popped into everybody's mind, right? He is still very much a practicing Catholic. In fact, Mystique mocked him for it as recently as the first meeting of the Quiet Council back in Hoxpox. Pox. Question. Where do you think a Nightcrawler would fall on this idea? Heck, where do you think many readers might fall on this idea? Um, would we and or he be able to reconcile it simply because we care so much about Colossus and Domino? Or would we hold to our beliefs and maybe, I don't know, start looking at them differently? I mean, and this is a deep subject. Certainly far deeper than I have any right or any sort of, uh, I'm trying to think, of legitimacy? I don't know. Uh, any right discussing here on an X-Men podcast. But still, I want it out there. It is interesting food for thought. I do look forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject, should you actually have any you're willing to share. Because this is, a, this is an interesting new spin on the Resurrection Protocols. It's, I feel like I, I went into this project really trepidatious about how I was going to feel about these protocols. And uh, every time I think we've seen everything, something new comes across the, uh, the table. You know, there are things that I thought this was going to be very cut and dry and very um, inhuman, you know, whereas this is maybe like a little too human to where it it has the ability to get under your skin and make you think and make you question things. So I like it. And, And if anybody would like to add to that, definitely, definitely feel free. I would appreciate it very much. So what else happened to this issue? Uh, we we found out about four-leaf clovers, and uh, it was clever. It was clever. I mean, it felt a little bit out of nowhere, but I did appreciate the way it developed, and I would help push the story onward. It was good. Um, I usually can't stand Sage. I usually I find her to be, for the most part, wildly unpleasant and almost stupidly dismissive of her fellow mutants. But I actually liked her discourse with Domino here Um, They felt like they were equals And that was cool Uh, Domino killing the uh, Anamad In the London Hotel It worked Uh, And it served the story Uh, Gotta say I'm actually pleased That she was taken out Quite this soon I was afraid we were in for like two or three issues of Domino Almost literally chasing her shadow So uh well done I, I mean that That didn't need to Overstay its welcome And thankfully it did not Uh the train scene Maybe a hair too easy Uh But the scene was more A backdrop for Domino's death Than anything else So I suppose we may as well Allow it Uh question though I I'm wondering Is this the first time Domino's ever died If so well, A little underwhelming Isn't it You know She's been through a lot And uh She dies being slammed against the wall of a train? I don't know. Uh, Speaking of Domino dying, she wanted to keep all of her memories and experiences intact post-resurrection. I like that. Uh, I don't know if that'll include her body scarring. Though, again, if the cover to X-Force number 9 is anything to go by, it would appear that it will not. Um, She's back to being whole on the cover, which... I suppose Places Wolverine number 1 is occurring after this story? I mean, who knows? It's not like these books have editors, right? Uh, The ending scene was fine. I had no real problems with it. Um, It sets the stage for Xeno tensions to start bubbling over, which, I mean, let's be honest, there's been eight issues. I would appreciate it if this conflict would eventually come to a head and hopefully get out of our way, because it's been there for the whole time so far. Overall, though... Yet another damn fine issue of X-Force. Uh, the art was great. The pretension, even given the heavy subject of, uh, of suicide here, the pretension was kept to a minimum. I really can't think of any complaints. Um, so, if anybody's listening and has the ability to go back in time, more like this, please. I'd like to see more more stories like this. This, is, this wasn't... We talked a couple of episodes ago, or a couple of X-Forces ago, I should say, about what people, what creators picture when they're given the task of creating an X-Force story. And I think that for the most part, and this is me projecting 100%, when people think X-Force, they think extreme violence, gore, uh, bordering on like a mature rated book. Here we didn't get any of that uh, We did get mature content In like a legitimate way You know, it wasn't just people saying the F word This is actually deep Thoughtful um, Bits of writing And uh, I dug it I dug it a lot um, Before we go, let's dip into the mailbag here where uh, We're actually going to start with Damien Who's discussing the previous issue of X-Force X-Force number 7 he says, I almost wrote that this was a fun issue, but that would be a lie. It was a good issue, but there was very little fun. That's 100% right. That's 100% right. Uh, Damien continues, the standout scene of this issue was Domino meeting Colossus on the beach. My understanding is that they had a romantic relationship in some comics I haven't read, but I thought the way their encounter was staged showed genuine care between them. It's interesting that Domino remains scarred. I would imagine the Morlock healer would be able to fix that damage. I wonder if they intend us to think she wants a reminder of what she went through. I'm thinking of the five years later Legion uh, and Vi Shrinking Violet who kept a facial scar as a memorial to Vernado Boy. Vernado Bay Boy. Yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm still learning the Legion, so... <laughs> I know that a lot of them are named Boy and Lad, so... I apologize, but... Uh, yeah, I think... I'm trying to think of when they were romantically entangled, uh, Peter and Nina. I want to say... It was Marvel now, uh, Cable and X Force. Um, it's where I, I think, I think we had like three X Force books. I think we had X Force, Uncanny X Force, and Cable and X Force going at the same time. I could be mistaken though, but uh, this was in that weird time where Marvel was like putting everybody in yellow armor. So I think like this X Force team had like yellow uh, yellow armor, and all new X Factor had yellow armor, and Iron Man was in yellow armor, but. I don't remember much of that series um, I think that was like the last time that I felt That uh, the X-Books were, were heavily, heavily glutted uh, There was just way too many of them to to really follow um, And maybe one of these days, I'll go back Probably not though um, And Domino, we, we learn here that uh, that her emotional scars Are things she wants to keep So I suppose it would stand to reason that her physical ones were a, a reminder of uh, what she suffered in the Xeno canisters. Uh, we learned here, I mean, Domino takes the good and the bad, so it, it definitely could stand to reason that she uh, that she was offered healing and turned it down. Uh, Damien continues, I don't remember anything about Colossus in issue one. Did his, did his Russian mission involve his brother Mikhail? He seems to be painting him, and I can't think of another character who would give Colossus a cryptic note in Russian. I'm presuming the the note Beast refers to belongs to Peter. And uh, Colossus in issue one of X-Force, I believe he showed up in in a single panel. I think it was just he was in the in the hull of uh, one of Kitty's boats. And we heard that, uh, that something bad went down in Russia. And then we saw some of the uh, survivors... Of uh, whatever went down in Russia, where Jean and uh, the Morlock healer were trying to evaluate them or examine them and find out where they felt pain, but they couldn't narrow it down because they were in pain everywhere. Um, but for as for Colossus, I don't know that we've seen him since just him huddled up in the bottom of uh, Kitty's boat. It uh, felt very very weird that they would uh, that they would drop him in there and just not mention him again for of uh, Seven issues, you know Outside of, of course, the X-Men Fantastic Four bit Where he's just running around the background um, And for the, uh, for Mikhail, I don't know I don't know if it's about Mikhail uh, And the letter, I would assume definitely it's Peter's with, uh, with the Russian writing on it But I don't know I don't know anything about whether or not Mikhail's going to show up I don't know You know, Mikhail... Is one of the characters that I I had this really weird inflated sense of import about him uh, when I came into the X books. He was a fairly big deal, you know. the uh, the The Gold Team like went into the void and they found him in that in that community and they brought him back and he went insane and he took over the Morlocks and. And then you found out just how powerful he was, and then we go into Age of Apocalypse, and he's one of the horsemen. So I always had this weird feeling of import about Mikhail, so I'm wondering if we'll see him anytime soon. A lot of folks reading, along with the present-day stuff, will know. Um, maybe he'll show up in Exatens. I don't know. Uh, now, uh, Damien wraps up with, uh, the central assassin story was cleverly done. I wonder if the negative domino will turn out to be Vanessa-slash-copycat from the 90s X-Force. There's definitely a lot of 90s nostalgia around. Well, by now we know that uh, it hasn't been explicitly said that it is Vanessa or not. I I, I would venture to say it was not, but uh, I remember when that reveal happened. It gave, uh, gave a lot of comic shops in the area the ability to uh, mark up two books as being the first appearance of a domino, so... There was that. That was a uh, definitely a very very 90s thing. But I don't know if we've seen Vanessa in a while. Um, I'm trying to think here. I think the last time I remember seeing her was maybe in a Deadpool story, but uh, I couldn't tell you when that was. But I I don't know when we've uh, when we've last seen her. I wonder if she's even still still uh, you know walking walking this earth. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this issue, Damien. It's always, it's always a treat to hear from you, so thank you. And uh, speaking of treats, we have a message from our friend Jeremiah. Now, he has just finished reading Marauders number 1, and he says, Chris, like I mentioned to you, I'm finally getting to the dawn of X books. I read Marauders number 1 and listened to the podcast today. Good stuff. As usual, I enjoyed your read-through and analysis. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Jeremiah continues I have to say I felt a little like you when you talk about seeing things in the story that might be nothing or not there when I read this one and yeah that's uh definitely one of my one of my reading handicaps is uh is really getting caught up in the scenery and <laughs> it's something I've it's something I've both tried to embrace and kind of move to the back burner but uh or maybe find a happy medium where I'm not I'm not wasting everybody's time with weird hot takes about stuff that doesn't matter I mean, I think I talked about Dreadpool over in Major X Wearing an X-Men belt for longer than anybody For longer than it took them to draw it You know, that's basically uh, what I do Uh, uh, Jeremiah continues When Kitty gets on the island and is talking to the little mutant Where she says that the kid must be the one that everyone wants to fight I think the Kitty looks very odd in that one panel Her face is dark and there's a weird glint in her eye and I think that was an attempt at, uh, like, making her look no-nonsense. You know, like she was, uh, <laughs> like, this was her tough girl face. Like, she was mad at this kid for uh, for making fun of her, for not being able to pass through the gateways. Uh, Jeremiah continues. I must have read that page six times to see if I was missing something. I felt like she was being depicted as, that way to signify something. I mean, she almost looks evil in that one panel. I came up with nothing, though, and moved on. And Yeah, am I'm pretty sure it was nothing. It was uh I think that was an attempt at humor uh which it's hard to do in comics as we're finding out with uh well plenty of these books because uh, a lot of these books are angling toward comedy and uh it's not always uh it's, it's very seldom successful. I think the funniest bits are probably in New Mutants at this point whereas a lot of the other books are trying comedy and it's just not doing it. Um, Jeremiah continues. I agree that the fight with the Russians does seem to be very brutal and over the top for the X Men. I put it up to that. I put it up to that. If these guys are going to be called the Marauders, then they need to be the tough mutants. I remember the original Marauders as being very violent, uh, weren't they? The ones who carried out the mutant massacre. I thought that making Kitty and the rest of her team fight in a more violent fashion must be the callback to the old team. And yeah, the uh, yes, the Marauders were uh, the ones behind the uh, the Morlock massacre, the mutant massacre, and uh, that's why the uh, as you continue, you're gonna hear people kind of question why Kitty named them the Marauders. Yeah, that might have actually happened in the first issue. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, when they ask who they are, and she says the Marauders, because she was on the spot, you know. But uh, yeah, there's gonna be some more mention of. How that's an inconvenient name for the team, and uh, and definitely I agree. The uh, the fight, Kitty was especially brutal, like phasing people into one another, phasing bars into people, very over the top and uh, a little off putting. If if I'm being honest, uh, Jeremiah continues. I like the idea of Iceman and Pyro being on the same team. There could be a lot of great fire and ice jokes. Uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice references being the most obvious ones, and I, I like them together as well. Um, I think that they are—they're uh, a fun—they're a fun tandem. They're a fun duo. Uh, they're both—they're both silly, you know. Um, and of course, they're both very powerful as well, which is why they're surrounding Kitty uh, for this uh, for this book. But they are funny. They are lighthearted and. Uh, I'm digging it. I'm digging them together. Uh, Jeremiah wraps up with, Finally, I enjoyed the setup in this book. I want to know why Kitty cannot use the gateways. I want to know what Bishop is investigating. I want to know what the deal is with Emma Frost, Kitty, and the Hellfire Corporation. Also, what is there between Emma Frost and Storm? All in all, it was a fun issue, had a good story, good action for once, and made me want to see what happens next. I can't ask for much more from from a single comic. And yeah, uh, I mentioned it probably a half dozen times already, but uh, Marauders was a book I was never, ever going to pick up. I was just, I was fine leaving it on the on the rack. And uh, my damn completionist nature got the better of me, and for once, it paid off. I This was my dark horse book. I didn't think I'd like it. I didn't think I'd want to read it. I thought, that you know, maybe in a few years I'll, I'll start pulling these out of the fifty cent bin. But uh, now I love it. It's a really, really good book. It uh, is a lot of callbacks and a lot of looking to the future. Um, it's a real, real good balance of nostalgia and the today, and that's something that it's very hard to do in these uh in these comics especially with how often things are rebooted and things are written out and things are retconned and this book actually walks that tightrope of like paying homage to what came before and using everything to set up the future and uh and every time we finish an issue i think i only had a problem with one issue of marauders and that was simply because i thought kitty was really annoying during it i think that was a I think that might have been Marauders number two. But uh, ever since then, um, I don't think there's an issue I've read of Marauders where I can't wait to get to the next one. So probably the strongest book of the line. It's not always my number one, but I think it's the most consistently strong of the entire Dawn of X line. It's The the worst it's going to do is slightly annoy you, (laughs) whereas some of these other books might make you mad, you know? But, uh, thank you so much for your thoughts, Jeremiah. I look forward to hearing much more from you. And, um, I mean, you still got a few of the number ones to go, including everybody's favorite, Fallen Angels. And I, I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. But, uh, if anyone out there would like to get a hold of me and tell me your thoughts, please feel free to do so. Um on Twitter at Ace Comics. And, uh, the old Gmail box is Weird History at gmail.com. I'm not really good at calls to action. Um, but, uh, Hey, if you like this show, maybe tell some people uh, We've experienced a bit of a drop <laughs> over the past uh, little while And I understand I understand I'm I'm very much a uh, realist when it comes to podcast listening And uh, uh, right now we're exploring a niche of a niche of a niche, you know We're not just talking about comics We're not just talking about X-Men comics We're talking about a specific era of X-Men comics So I understand that this is not going to be, you know, a, a million-listen show at, 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 at ever, you know. But I do put a lot of uh, time and effort into it. And um, if you dig the show, um, please uh, consider you know, telling people. Let people know that it's out there. Um, I, I, don't, I totally understand that the frequency in which I'm putting these out, um, it invites the... Uh, The old notion of the tipping point, and that's something I've talked about, not on this program, but other programs on this channel where you have a backlog, right? It could be a backlog of something that you're indifferent to, it could be a backlog of something that you're kind of into, or it could be a backlog of something that you absolutely love, but there's a tipping point, right? I mean, I've gone from having stacks of comics that were like five inches tall, and it's like, yeah, I can get to all of those, right? But Then a couple months will go by and it'll double in size And it's like, yeah, maybe I can get to those And then it'll, then it'll double in size again And it's like, I'll pick out the books I want to read from there And then it'll double size again And it's like, okay, forget it <laughs> It's a wash, I can't do any of it So, I know we're on, what, episode 61 So there's probably like 40 hours of this program out there in the world right now So I understand that it, it might be overwhelming So, I also understand that a... Uh, I'm not the most entertaining or engaging fellow in the world so it is what it is but if you do dig the show eh, please just consider you know letting other people know that it's uh, something that exists if if not that's cool we're all still friends but uh but if you if you can help a help a fella out I'd very much appreciate it um now for uh, show notes and blog posts you can go to chrissoninfinitearts.com um the site for this program in particular is, is com. You can chat with us over on Facebook at 90sXmen, where I just shared a French-language version of the first appearance of Quanan or Revenge, or whatever the hell they were calling her. Betsy with a perm, basically. And uh, I mentioned that... Uh, It would probably make as much sense to me in French as it did in English, because it is a bonkers story. So if you want to see stuff like that, 90s X-Men on Facebook. Uh, Also, the full audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. They are there waiting for you if you're interested. So I think that's where we'll put a button in it for today. I want to thank you so, so much for listening. Um, The voice is uh, in and out. Hopefully it'll... uh, Hopefully it'll be better. I, I drank a whole lot of tea today, so hopefully it's uh, Hopefully it 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 wasn't as uh, horrible as the past couple days here. I might have to I might have to go drive through for a test at, at some point here, but uh, we'll see. Fingers crossed that uh, it doesn't come to that. But uh once again, thank you so much for hanging out and sharing your time with me. It really really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.